Hey guys, can you do me a quick favor? And before we continue on to the episode in the show description, I am looking for best ways that you guys would enjoy to support this podcast, whether that's doing a Patreon model, setting up a merchandise account, doing jujitsu videos, anything of that nature, I would greatly appreciate it. So there is a Google form that is down in the description below. If you guys could take that short survey for me, I would greatly appreciate it. That way I can either get you guys more episodes because if I can find a way to support the podcast, I can get you guys more content. So anyway, thank you for that and we'll get on to the episode. I wanna share with you guys a blue belt case study from a jiu-jitsu student of mine and what we did to get him focused on one thing absolutely changed the course and trajectory of his jiu-jitsu journey. It helped him get more clear about what techniques he should focus on, what positions he should pay attention to, and really ultimately kind of a mindset shift about how to learn jiu-jitsu and how to train jiu-jitsu for the rest of his career. So one reason why I wanted to share this is because I definitely think it's a little bit of motivation for you guys out there that feel like you're struggling in jiu-jitsu. Often we're waiting for this magical technique to fall into our lap or hoping that the next instructional is just going to fix all my problems. And often when it doesn't, we now feel like we're helpless and that we have no other hope and maybe I'm just terrible at jiu-jitsu and I should just quit altogether. But I'm here to tell you guys there are actual things that you can do in order to not feel that way, especially when you're not on the mat training. So this specific blue belt student of mine trains with me both in person, but also mainly we only connect remotely um, online. That's how we met though was in person. He knew me and then when I started offering my online coaching, he decided to take me up on it. Now he was one of my first uh, adopters into this. And so I was still figuring out the process about how I could actually help people virtually, but it's been amazingly beneficial for him. It had to do with was more about him getting clear about his own jujitsu because he could buy all the latest and greatest instructionals, but it doesn't help if he's not able to actually apply them into training. What we first start with is figuring out what a person actually needs to start training in the jujitsu. So step one is assessing currently where you're at. The next thing that we will do is we'll take that assessed information and start to look at it and analyze it from like a 360 degree view, whether that's looking at a jiu-jitsu library that he's built or watching training footage, but we're going to start to assess kind of all of this data that we have now collected. The next part is then we're going to hone in and pick something that's actually going to make a giant impact on their jujitsu and not just randomly guess something to train. There are ways that we can figure out which is the most primary to your jujitsu need at the current moment. Then the last step is then how do we actually build a plan that's a way to measure the results and a way to actually feel like you're getting better at jiu-jitsu? What are some actual step-by-step -step tasks that we can do to feel like we're improving in our jiu-jitsu world? As you guys can see, it's not just a simple process of like me showing another arm lock and you guys getting better and instantly doing arm locks. A lot of this is based upon the student's willpower in order to put in the work. If you're just a student that wants to just show up and have the instructor tell them everything and you not do anything else outside, then that's the result you're going to get. But if you're dedicated and you're interested in this kind of process, then you could have amazing results like my student here. So the first thing, like I said, that we did is we had to assess where their current jujitsu is at. It doesn't matter whether I'm coaching you in person or I'm coaching you online. 
there is one thing that I would do before I ever showed you any other technique. Even if you flew me out to be your personal jiu-jitsu coach, I would ask you these series of questions. I would ask you, what are some failures that you have? What are some things that you need to get better at? What is something that you commonly do well? What are some successes that you have? What are some interests that you have in learning? Is there a specific areas of interest that you kind of pique your curiosity. And then I would say, okay, well, what is it like when someone tries to pass your guard? What is it like when this position happens or that position happens? I need to collect some information about you before I can make any informed decision. If not, I'm just guessing what to teach you. And so once we can kind of go through that and we can talk it out, like I did with my student, we built a list of some jujitsu needs and some successes that they had. I call this your jujitsu sins. So we built a list in like a Google sheet that we are able to kind of track everything. Then the next thing that we did is we had him do a live training uh, log, which was basically I had him focus on a couple of live training rounds and he had to focus on very specific positions that we saw could be potential weaknesses to make sure that that was actually the correct data. And what was interesting was There was at one point where he said mount escapes he felt pretty strong in, but then when I had him focus at just playing the bottom, every time he got mounted, he had an extremely hard time of escaping the mount. So sometimes what you put down on paper doesn't always correlate to what actually happens in reality. That's why it's good to do both. But sometimes it affirms what you put down on paper or sometimes it sheds some light on. He actually did fairly well in some other things that he thought he wouldn't do as well on. It's good though, because I have people do the paper exercise or write it out first because it's just about getting started. It's about taking little small steps that they can do from home. They can do it whether on break from work, they can do it at any time. You don't need to be on the mat. And this really starts to get the information out of your head. The next thing that we did is we took all of this information and all of this data that he either wrote out in a Google sheet or that we had validated from the live training. And we started to look at it and we started to identify some glaring weaknesses that he had. A few things that I noticed that he had is he had some weaknesses on things like taking the back from the guard, finishing arm locks from the guard, um, being able to escape some side control positions. But one of the biggest glaring weaknesses that I saw is being able to retain the closed guard position or even be able to play open guard. You could say either one of those kind of loosely. And that kind of falls into the side control realm as well too. And so once we step back and we look at it from this 360 degree view, with me knowing he's a blue belt and knowing what now information he has, we can now look at these three or four needs and make an informed decision. So what we did is we focused in on kind of the open guard and the guard retention and getting better at those areas because in my opinion, if you're a blue belt and you're having someone who's like a white belt be able to pass your guard and you can't even retain it long enough and you're wasting a lot of energy, that's a pretty big need. It's a lot bigger of a need than him training back mount because the reality is, is that most people that he trains with, if he's a fairly new blue belt, he's not getting to a lot of people's back. He's not being able to make it there. He's not being able to really focus a large amount of his training time into those positions. But you know where he is? Open guard and guard retention. So that's why we decided to hone in on that aspect because it's going to be the most plausible and the easiest thing for him to work on while training. So now that we were able to assess what area for him to focus on, we now needed to develop if we're going to do very specific techniques, if he needed to learn something else, if he needed to be able to just drill something like what are you going to be able to do 
now in order to improve that focus. And a lot of it was he was really poor in his knowledge. He didn't really have many techniques in that area of open guard, butterfly guard. He only had a very few amount of ideas. He had never seen how to connect open guard into close guard or open guard into half or even go from open guard and quickly switch to guard retention. Once we were able to get him focused on that and I got him drilling some techniques and focusing on some uh, drills and he even purchased an instructional in this realm, it made a giant difference. And so now he felt more confident. He felt like he had a way to now execute this um, idea about these techniques he was learning because now he knew that it was going to make a big difference. And so then that led us to, okay, so what are we going to do now in order to build you a plan to actually make sure it's working? So this is probably the part that everyone I think tries to skip to. Everyone tries to skip to the last part of building a plan. But as you guys can see, we had to put in a lot of preparation work. We had to do an assessment. We had to look at the data. Then we had to select a really a primary focus that was gonna make any sense before we can ever build a plan. And so our plan had to have an end goal. And the end goal was hopefully he was able to improve his retention and open guard. We also had a metric of where he was before. He already had done all of the live training. He had written down all of this idea about what he knew from this area. So we already had a starting point. We already had a, a piece of data in order to, to compare it against. We just needed to come up with a plan of what he could do actually in training. We followed what we called the stair stepper method. The stair stepper method is where a student is able to understand the different types of training partners that they have at their disposal. And when you can have these different types of training partners at your disposal, whether they're brand new white belts or your most seasoned black belts, there's a way to get value out of every single training partner. I had to share with him and teach him some strategies on how do you still train guard retention with a white belt and how do you train guard retention with a black belt? Now, I know some of you are like, well, that's simple. You just do the same techniques. It's not as straightforward as you might think. Maybe the techniques he should be focused on on a white belt versus what he should expect to complete against a black belt and the techniques he should try might be vastly two different things. Sometimes they're cohesive and they're the same, but a lot of times they're not the same thing. What he could get value with the white belt is not the same as the black belt. So now he's learning actually how to use his training partners wisely and more effectively. All of that preparation time and now his goal, he has specific tasks that he can complete against each belt along on top of drilling the move and being able to study the instructional and kind of really be focusing on this one idea of guard retention or open guard. So that way he has a plan that he can focus on every time he comes onto the map. So if this is something that's really resonating with you guys and you want more information about this, I am currently enrolling more students into my online program. You guys can fill out your application down below to make sure that you're a good fit for the program, that you're willing to do the work to hopefully speak with you guys very soon. Now, the next thing is, well, okay, great. We have a plan. He's starting to train it. How long should I focus on a specific task? And this is really subjective. The only thing I will say is that you need to at least give the plan a minimum of four to six training sessions. So it depends. If you're a guy that trains five or six days a week, then four to six training sessions, you should hopefully make some pretty good gains over a specific area. If you're really focusing in on and showing up to the gym with this specific plan, you should have some pretty good data. 
for some of you other guys that are maybe only training two or three times a week, you might have to focus on this for an entire month. It's totally fine. It's more about the sessions, not necessarily about the physical length of time over weeks or months. I'm more worried about the sessions. How do we determine if we're ready to move on? Because theoretically, my blue belt student, if he's training with only black belts, he is never, he, he can only make his guard retention so good. He's going to need to start to focus on other areas. And so this is where I give that four to six a week metric. Now that we can go back and we can compare, he can also write out if he's seeing success, if he's starting to feel like he's actually improving that realm. What often what happen that I have seen students do whenever they start this process is that other glaring obvious needs start to appear. Outside of after he started retaining the guard, for example, he started communicating to me that he was noticing every time he got back to the guard, he was very limited on his sweeps. Now that builds me a next picture. Okay, great. Now that you have this guard retention and you're having a hard time sweeping people, now we need to focus in on looking at specific sweeps for you. Now you guys can see how this is a very specific structure plan. If he would have came to me and said, man, Chase, I'm just an underhook master and I'm able to underhook escape on every single person that comes into the room, even on black belts. Fantastic. Now we're going to build you a game out of the underhook escape. But this is all data that is collected and that you are collecting as a jiu-jitsu student. No one can do jiu-jitsu for you guys. I'm trying to show you guys that you actually have a lot of control about your own jiu-jitsu. You actually have a lot of say-so about your jiu-jitsu. No one is going to know your jiu-jitsu better than you. Unless you have a guy like John Danaher who's in your corner, who's training or teaching every single class seven days a week and is in every single class and has such a rapport with his students, no one is going to care about your jiu-jitsu more than you, especially if you're a hobbyist, if you're a person that's only training three or four days a week. And so there's a way that we can structure you and change your jiu-jitsu training habits. Probably one of the biggest benefits that my blue belt student benefited from this was that it changed the way that he actually trains jiu-jitsu now. Now what happens is after he goes through this and he completes his guard retention cycle or his offensive retention, he now looks at it and kind of starts over again. He'll say, oh man, so now I don't really know many sweeps. He'll update his jiu-jitsu library and start writing out very specific sweeps from that position or all the ones that are potentially possible. Then he might spend a session or two just trying to collect data from that position of sweeping to try to get more information. And then now he's able to go back and figure out a plan on how he could put himself in these positions to start doing some sweeps. So you guys can see that this is a constant cycle you could keep doing this over and over again. And personally, the way that I kind of came up with this and I started doing it was this is exactly how I trained jujitsu. This was my mindset. This is what I was doing to myself, but I never had it written out in any kind of way. I never had it in any kind of process or any steps. And so now it's been super awesome for me to be able to share this information, even with people when they're not standing in front of me. And they have the power to take on the ownership of themselves. And then I'm just the uh, expert or the person that can help them look at it and help them make the decisions, which don't get me wrong, is massively powerful. Because if we go back to his decision making tree there, where he could have chose back mount or all the other ones, you know, he listened to my recommendation about doing the guard. And then we talked about some techniques and some ideas that he could start to drill and, and practice in live training. That got him focused. And now he has a very good guard. It's very tough to pass. He feels like he can keep bigger people off him and he's been able to retain. 
And so he still did all the work. I didn't do the work for him. He still did it, but he was able to get clear about what he should be training and why that is. And so until next time, I'll see you guys later. Thank you guys again for supporting the podcast. In case you guys didn't know, I'm really trying to work on growing my social media presence, either on Instagram and on Twitter. So make sure you guys give me a follow over there of at Jason Hill is both handles. It's also in the show description. It's a quick way to link over. This is the best way to also ask me about questions or topics you would like future podcasts on. Also, if you haven't already, make sure you check out the YouTube channel. It has a lot of these topics just in video format. It's just another medium for you guys to check it out. And so that is a good way to also get some jujitsu help. 